This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. And when you try it, you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker. Here, your host of the For the Lots podcast. You guys, welcome to the show. Oh, today's such a good one, you guys. Calling all parents. Calling all parents of adolescents. Or you're about to be. We're in a series right now called For the Love of Calming the Chaos. Does it come as a surprise that in a series about calming the chaos, we wanted to drop in an episode about parenting teens? <laughs> They are literally in the epicenter of emotional chaos. And of course, that they, we live with them. They live in our homes. And so they bring it into our houses, of course, and it can create a lot of disruption and confusion and chaos in the family, right? Now, you know me, I, I am on record as saying I love teenagers, my favorite stage of parenting by a million percent. So this isn't a hate on teens at all moment. It's more like, how do we manage their emotional landscape? How do we help them manage their own chaos in a way that serves them, that serves the family? It's just, it's a lot because first of all, we have our own stuff that we're walking around with. And that's what the rest of this series is about. Our own personal chaos, our internal chaos, the places where our life feels like, it's unraveling or disintegrating in some way. So we've got that to worry with all the time. 
But then we've got these kids who are in such developmental flux and they have so much to manage school and homework and grades and activities and emotions, friend drama, relationship drama, anxiety, college, like in a short amount of time, they really have to navigate a huge list of responsibilities and tasks and concerns. And so how do we help them? right? How do we help them? What's normal? These are the questions that I was asking my guest today. What's normal? What behavior is happening that's not, it's not an indicator that something's wrong. It's just an indicator that that is a teenage person. What should we expect? How is the best way to come alongside? These are all the questions that we are asking today because we want our kids to learn healthy coping skills. We want them to manage their own storms, right? We want them to build this resiliency in adolescence. It's gonna serve them the rest of their life. So, oh man, I mean, this conversation today is packed, packed. Our guest is incredible. She is so good at this. This is her area. This is her specialty. We have psychologist, Dr. Lisa Damore on the show today. She is a New York Times bestselling author of Untangled Under Pressure, which we talk about quite a bit. And then her newest, which not to put too fine a point on it, is titled The Emotional Lives of Teenagers. <laughs> you can see why we called her. She's also a podcast host. Her show's called the Ask Lisa Podcast, and you will love it. Consider it your new resource. So additionally, Dr. Damore serves as the Senior Advisor to the Schubert Center for Child Studies at Case Western Reserve University. She's written countless like academic papers and chapters and books related to education and child development. I can't imagine how much you would learn if you visited her practice. She also still runs her like in-office clinical practice. She's just an expert voice on adolescent development and family mental health and then ultimately adult well-being. She is gentle and patient. And I had sort of an interview written up for this and I just sort of went off the map. Like everything she was saying was sort of raising new questions for me. And and then of course, not surprisingly, I essentially treated this like my own personal counseling session <laughs> as a parent of teens. So I laid a lot of my personal issues and questions and struggles down during this conversation, but I know it's not too self-serving because I'm always listening to you. This is the stuff that we're all dealing with, with our teens. So by the way, as if her incredible credentials weren't enough, Lisa also collabs with UNICEF and she's been recognized as a thought leader by the American Psychological Association. She's a regular contributor to New York Times and CBS News. So she's got a ton of receipts, you guys. We are going to learn from her today. We are going to listen to her today. Wait till you hear her perspective on teens. I think you're going to feel comforted today. I think you will hear some normalization that's going to serve you well. And then you're going to walk away with some fantastic tips. And so I could have talked to her for all day long, but we've got one hour. So I'm so pleased to share my conversation with the smart and insightful, helpful, incredible Dr. Lisa Damore. Okay, Dr. Damore, welcome to the For the Love Podcast. I am so selfishly glad you are here. So 
I guess my listeners are just going to have a bonus conversation because this is me pulling up my personal seat to your table going, I have a million questions. (laughs) (laughs) I'm deeply honored. I'll try to be helpful. You will be. I have five kids. Okay. And they range from 17 to 25. And so we're very much in the young adult, later teen. We're in your world. So I can already tell I will have wished I had this conversation 10 years ago, but let's see what we got. So I've, I've already told my listeners a little bit about you, just sort of the high level stuff. But if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to walk it back for just a second and hear a little bit from you. First of all, just the, this is who I am. This is where I am. These are my people. And then how maybe you got into this field in the first place? Why are you passionate about this particular space? Because your field is very broad and your credentials are too, and you could have gone a million paths. So let's start there. Well, thank you. I have a very traditional and broad training. And interestingly, I think I did go in a million directions and they all brought me here. So I have practiced for a very long time. I still practice. I have three clients later today. So I, you know, I, I'm still doing the work of being a clinician in my office, which I I just love. It's like one of my favorite gears to drop into. And it feels in some ways the most familiar of my work to me. I taught college for a long time. And that I think has ended up coming into my work as a public speaker because I was at University of Michigan. I had 400 students in my abnormal psychology class. (laughs) So you just get used to speaking to large audiences. I then have done consulting work for schools for a long time. So working directly with parents and over time, so seeing the life of schools, seeing you know, a much more full picture of family life than one ever gets in one's private practice because you just get a slice of what's happening. You get what the kid is telling you. Whereas when you're working as a consultant to schools, you see a whole lot. You see a kid all day. You see the family you know, through a lot of perspectives. And it's, it's a great way to learn. And so what I think actually happened without ever having a plan is <laughs> that all points converged here, which is that I love teenagers. I care for their families. And over, you know, doing a whole bunch of stuff for the last 30 years of my career, I've developed skill sets in speaking and writing and translating what we know as academic and clinical psychologists for broad audiences. So that's how that happened, (laughs) but all by accident and all by following my nose. Totally. We meander sometimes into the landing pad. You just released a book called The Emotional Lives of Teenagers. <laughs> you don't need to say any more in the title <laughs> than that. Like, I appreciate you just going right on the nose. It's pretty concrete. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a thank you for the, the plain language. And any of us who are parenting teens, even preteens, of course, understand that this is a whole thing. This is a whole category. The emotional life. And we remember, I remember. I remember being a kid. That's sometimes where my deepest well of empathy comes from when I cannot find any. When I'm like, this child is about to meet <laughs> her maker. I'm like, oh, remember how weird it is to be 17. Uh, everything is so banana. So let's, we're going to camp here a lot today. Pretty much every one of us feels like we're not doing a great job. And managing their emotions in the house just kind of feels chaotic. And so it's hard to assign, is this going well or not? It's just, Mm -hmm. you know. So Mm -hmm. for starters, why is it crucial in the first place that parents 
find a way to understand their teens' emotional lives. Why does this matter? Why is this worth the work? And then maybe even parse out a little bit, what are some of the the basic stuff that they're dealing with that we really should have like empathy for? So teenagers, you know, it's this extraordinarily unique phase of life. And I, and I think it really is, it warrants specialization, right? I mean, I think there's real value in being like, I'm a psychologist who cares for teenagers. This is what I do. This is what I've always done because it is highly specific. And, you know, the, the top line information on this is there is so much change in an incredibly short period of time. And there are so many demands on that teenager in terms of how they are going to grow what is going to be different between when they were, I mean, literally 11 to 18, right? I mean, those are not the same people. And it is, I mean, that's seven years. Seven years ago, I was wearing the same clothes. I'm making the same dinners. Like I I change very little at this point in my life, but it's an extraordinary overhaul, right? of, Of who they are. And there's really nothing like it except for probably early childhood, right? where you go from being a baby to a six-year-old, like that's a huge change. But you then get latency, six to 10, where things slow down, cool off a while, development is not so rapid, th- changes are not so dramatic. And then wham, back into adolescence, right around 11 is when it usually starts. And it, you know, it can go into young adulthood in terms of the neurological development. But the bottom line is you're looking at an incredible amount of change. The other thing you're looking at is a highly pivotal time of life that Teenagers make choices that can have a very dramatic impact on what's available to them in young adulthood in terms of their options. Teenagers can also make choices that have irreversible negative consequences. And so I think if you load, so that's just to like skim the surface of why this totally. is right. right? Yeah. But if you just load that in, tons of change, pivotal time of life in terms of setting up young adulthood and then adulthood. And Teenagers are drawn to excitement and risk. That is neurologically how they are programmed. And they have access to things that we cannot keep them from. Drugs, drinking, sex, the downsides of social media. That we there, It's all there. And we are aware that sometimes things go really, really wrong. And so that's the beginning of why it is so hard. And then we can even drill down from there. Mm. It is overwhelming to think of it in such stark terms that in the span of, of, let's say seven years, it's like a different human has to emerge out of that body. And let's stay there for just a second. Could you give us the breakdown more or less in layman's terms of what we should be expecting in the normal course of adolescent emotional development. Because in our houses, it feels like chaos. <laughs> and also, also it's confusing. It's like, wait, wait, you were fine this morning. Like what just happened? You know, it just, it can be all over the place. So let me take the chaos in two forms, right? There's two forms of chaos at work here. One is that their emotional world is very different. How they how they have emotions, how they navigate emotions, how they express emotions is very different than it is at other times of life. So one aspect of it, which you described is their emotions are all over the map. The teenagers feel things very intensely that is natural to and also specific to adolescents. And so if they're happy, they're like so happy. And if they're down, 
they are so down and they can do that five times between before nine o'clock in the morning. You know, so that is to be expected, but it is a lot. It is a lot. Actually, it's the all over the map that's normal. What's not normal is a kid who goes to a dark or concerning place and stays there. We want to see them pop in and out of a low mood. We do not want to see them day over day low mood. Yeah. The other thing that's normal Mm. is that intensity of emotion, like how pronounced the emotions are, actually peaks a lot earlier than people realize. It peaks for girls roughly around 13 and for boys roughly around 14. So adolescence begins at 11. Around 11, kids will start to want more privacy. They will not want you to cuddle them in the same way. That, that is right on time. And it's we've always marked the onset of adolescence at 11. Emotionality peaks not that long after that. So you have eighth and ninth graders who are having full-on meltdowns on the regular. That is exactly what we expect to see. It's very, very disturbing at home at times. But it is often typical, especially if they recover quite nicely and then carry on with their day. And one thing I always, I wish like I could take out billboards that said, you know, adolescence begins at 11 and emotionality peaks around 13 and 14. Because I think a lot of families look at their 13 and 14 year old and they're like, oh my gosh, like this is how we are starting the teen years. Like, where is this headed? That's a great point. In re- mm-hmm. It's true. And so in reality though, and you've had this experience, I'm sure in your own parenting, they actually do smooth out like that typically your 17, 18, 19 year olds are way less reactive than your 12, 13, 14 year olds. And so that's kind of the landscape of what you should expect in terms of emotions and how intense and how varied they are. The other way to get at the question of chaos has to do with the first commercial book I wrote, which is Untangled, which is theoretically about girls, but I I know that 80% of it applies to kids of all genders. And the way that book came to be, and I described this in the introduction to that book. So for a long time, I supervised graduate students at Case Western Reserve University who were training to be clinicians. And one of the terrible ironies of becoming a psychologist is that in your early days, when you're in training, you work in a very low fee clinic. Now, the families who visit the low fee clinic for reasons vastly beyond their control usually have way more chaotic lives than say the families who I care for in my private practice in Shaker Heights. So this terrible irony is you have the greenest, least seasoned clinicians caring for the most complex cases. So they are overwhelmed. And then I am their instructor. I could at times feel overwhelmed. So I came up with seven developmental tasks that teenagers have so that we could evaluate the teenagers in the care of my junior Johnny clinician. And we could actually figure out where to focus our attention in the work. Now, those seven developmental tasks became the basis of the book Untangled. So in Untangled, what I articulate are seven jobs teenagers have. And again, this was a chaos management approach. Like I was like, it's too confusing. As all teen management is. (laughs) That's right. That's its origin story. Anything we've come up with thus far. Uh Exactly. And so then the seven jobs, which teenagers are working their way through. And this is, these are the chapter titles, parting with childhood, joining a new pack, harnessing emotions, contending with adult authority, planning for the future, entering the romantic world and caring for themselves. That's a lot. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. And the last thing to say on that is that when I was working on the book, my editor kept saying, 
are these like happening in an order or are they happening simultaneously? And I kept saying, yes, yes. Mm, totally. <laughs> like, this is sort of the rough order of their ascension, but like they're kind of working on these all the time. So the bottom line is it's a lot and they yeah. are working their way through many important jobs and we are along for the ride. You're so right that they are, their little minds are juggling so much change and concern. They're thinking about the future. They're comparing themselves. I know, I know I'm on my fifth kid. We're in the thick of it right now. And so I want to ask your counsel because their stress and emotional turmoil and giant mood swings. And, and you mentioned they're grappling with authority right now. We feel that, of course. It is so hard sometimes not to get sucked into their chaos and then triggered. And, and so then all of a sudden, we're in a battle of the wits with a kid. It's the dumbest thing I've ever tried to do. <laughs> and And I don't know why I keep trying to do it, but this is where a lot of parents feel a lot of shame. Like, why am I letting a, a sophomore in high school trigger me like this? So first of all, let me start by reassuring parents of something that needs to be said. And that once we say it, and if we can integrate it, makes us all much easier to do. Hmm. Teenagers are going to be in distress and often it's good for them. So let's start there. Okay, let's unpack each of those clauses. Teenagers are going to be in distress. There's no getting around the fact that they are going to have ups and downs. They're going to be jerks sometimes. They're going to be very sad sometimes. This is unavoidable. And actually, you wouldn't want to avoid it, right? It is in working through painful feelings that all of us grow. It is in coming up against distress that we learn, like, don't do that again. Like, you did that. You feel really guilty. Sit in that guilt, get to know that guilt. And so then you won't make that same mistake a second time, like work your way through it so that you, you know, you come out a better person. So, first and foremost, we have to accept the idea that teenagers will experience distress and that it can be of value to them. And the reason that is so hard to integrate right now is the culture is sending actually the opposite message. Right now, the message that prevails in the culture is that psychological distress and mental health concerns are the same thing. Mm. Every headline mm. that is out there right now, a lot of the messaging actually sends the message in this way, which is mental health. You know you're mentally healthy if you feel good and your kid feels good. That's mental health. It is not mental health. That is actually an unattainable steady state. I want people to feel good. You're not going to feel it good for very, for very long at any time, right? And so the first thing we have to do, and it's like, Everybody's going to get sometimes. You're going to get upset. Your kid's going to get upset. It's not fun, but it is very rarely a problem. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting 
nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. And I think it's hard not to right now when every time you turn around, you bump into a headline about adolescent mental health crisis, your kid walks in the door, is deeply upset. How do you not panic as a parent? Mm -hmm. So this this is my, like, most of the time, and I'm going to tell you when to worry, but most of the time, it's just a Wednesday with your kid. I mean, is how we want to think about it. So that's the first part. The second part is that psychologists, given that we are actually quite uninterested in the presence of distress, we like, we fully expect that we are interested in something else though, which is how any one of us goes about coping with it. So it is totally expectable that your kid is going to come home angry or hurt or, you know, fill in the blank with a negative emotion, plan on it. Where I want parents to pay attention is what happens next. Do they take it out on everybody in the family? Do they go upstairs in their room and cut themselves? Do they go smoke a ton of weed to manage? Like, then you need to be on it, right? That is grounds for concern. The rest of the time, as good as this gets, is that your kid comes home and talks to you about what they're upset about. And in talking, they get relief. Or they say, you know what? I've had the worst day ever. I'm going for a run. They come back from the run feeling better. That's as good as it gets. Or they're like, you know what? And this happens all the time with 17, 18 year olds. I'm going to go watch The Little Mermaid. I'm just going to go hide in my childhood. And then I will come back and I will feel better because I haven't thought about it. All we want to see is that when they are distressed, which we fully expect, they cope with it in ways that bring relief and do no harm. If you can check that box, again, that is family life. The last thing I will say on this, just to really get at why this is so hard to integrate, because I think we can know it, but then your kid walks in the door and (laughs) you just, there is something so core and natural to the fact that we hate to see our kids in pain. Totally. It's like the most instinctive thing in the world that when our kids are in pain, are like, make it stop. Who did this? How do I make them make it stop? Completely. Instinct is going to kick in. And I would add a layer on our generation, which is also, I think this is my fault. Uh I've done something wrong in that they're having this experience. I didn't shield it right, or I didn't set them up for success right. Like, you know, I don't feel like my mom's generation carried that particular weight on their shoulders, but we sure do. So somehow I am willing to take the blame for every bad thing that's going on. It's just not true. Well, it's not true. And let's even get at the origin story of that. Because I I think that it is a very common thing in today's environment. I think that some of that has come from parenting guidance, usually not given by people who are in the field, that seems to suggest that if you just do this magic move and this magic move and this ninja thing, then parenting will be easy. Okay. That is not a thing. That is not a thing. (laughs) And so I think that even though often that guidance is well-intentioned or people are reporting on something that worked well for them, I think that the underlying message actually is a problem because no matter what you do, parenting is challenging. Development is a bumpy road. It has always been a bumpy road. I think it's a really bumpy road right now. And so I think that's why it's so important to just start with the understanding your kid's going to be in distress and you're going to hate to see it and you're going to want to stop it and you can't, but you can focus on coping. (laughs) You can't focus on coping and that's your job. 
we've got to elevate our tolerance for discomfort and we're just not great at it. You're so right. We are not great at it. And so immediately a lot of us want to go into fix it mode or like I can even go into blame mode. Like, well, if you hadn't chosen that, (laughs) if you didn't do that, then we wouldn't be here. So it's not really helpful. And so I wonder if you have, and again, this is super broad and this, this could be parsed out in a million directions, but can you hand us maybe some language to use when we're coming alongside of our kid and they're emotionally dysregulated for fill in the blank reason? And what might it look like? Like, it is helpful for me sometimes to have a script in my head. Like, Jen, just go yep. to the script. Yep. Like, let the script say these words. get us to the other side of the, just say the words. Like, what are ways to sort of create safety for our teenagers when they are so dysregulated? So I'm going to walk us through something that actually is downloadable for free on my website, which is a how to manage a meltdown bookmark that works (laughs) with people of all ages and your, and your partners and your employees. Mm -hmm. And it has nine steps. And if it had fewer, I'd probably see if I could distribute it as a temporary tattoo (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I think it would be helpful Mm -hmm. to all of us. Refer to the, refer to the script. Yeah. Just look look at your forearm. (laughs) What are we doing now? Mm -hmm. So step number one, step number one is listen without interrupting. Oh gosh. Let them say yes. it all. Uh-huh. It's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. And I think so often when we think we're listening, we're not listening. We're waiting for them to pause so that we can make a suggestion. Guilty. That's not listening. Like me too, all the time. So really, really, really listen. Having really listened, sometimes your kid is done. They're like, I got what I need. Thank you so much. You've not said a word they feel better. If they need a little more, offer empathy. You can say, oh man, that stinks, or I'm so sorry, or I wish that hadn't happened. A huge percentage of the time, you are done. This is all they wanted. They did not want questions or advice. They just wanted empathy. If you're still going, and you might, you want to validate their distress. You want to say, you know, I think anyone in your shoes would be upset. Or It makes sense that you're having that reaction. And for teenagers in particular, they need this from us because their reactions are so amplified that they can also be pretty weirded out by it. And so they end up with two problems. They're both upset and they're worried there's something wrong with them. So we can actually- Oh gosh, yes. Uh All right, I'll do one more and then people can find the rest if they're interested. Step number four, support coping. So this is back to what I've said, like the distress is a done deal. This is about the coping. So then you say, what would help you feel better? Do you want to go for a walk outside? Do you want me to make you, you know, your favorite dinner? You want to go watch TV together? So that's the first four steps. There's five more if you still need them. And that's actually how you respond. And it it works. It works. Very notably absent is telling them what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Why do we want to reach for that? Like, look, I can solve this kid. I see the clear path through this to the other side. And that isn't what they want. It's not what they want there. I think this is my biggest hurdle. It's everybody's. I just, I think some of it's my discomfort with their discomfort. I don't want them to feel that way. And I have a solution as always. I can, I can run everybody's life if they would let me, but also something in me, I think it's back to that like old programming that you were mentioning. Something in me is still saying good parenting right now means 
threading the needle of giving perfect advice right now. Like you're going to say something that's going to solve it, or you're going to put a solution in their hands, or you're going to coach them, you know, toward resolution or whatever it is. And it really is a reversal of, I feel like what I've been told a lot, which is, you know, being a good parent coach, sometimes they just don't need any of that, any of it. They don't, or it doesn't matter how brilliant the advice is. It does not work because they don't want it. And I think, or they don't want it yet, right? They don't want it yet. And that's the thing that's so specific about teenagers is they act like teenagers and they're programmed for autonomy. And so sometimes having the best idea ever means they can't go do that thing because it was your idea. And so they can't go do that thing because they're a teenager. I mean, they are so funny in that way. Like I I, t- I told the story in Untangled of a kid I cared for who came in in the worst mood on a Friday afternoon because she's usually, you know, not in a terrible mood. And she was a terrific kid, like really well put together and funny and insightful. And I was like, what's wrong? She's like, oh man, I was studying on the dining room table. My stuff was all over the place. I had this whole plan that I was going to use the hour before I got here to put it away, clean it up. I couldn't wait. I was so excited. I was going to make it beautiful. And I walk in the house and my mom's like, you need to clean off the dining room table. So then I spent an hour fighting with her about how I would not do it and I could not do it, even though it was exactly what I meant to do. And now here I am and I'm upset because the dining room table is still not dealt with. (laughs) I was like, okay, that is the greatest lesson I've ever been taught by a teenager. Like the kid was about to do it. So I do want people to be reassured. Problem solving, advice giving comes in step seven, eight, Mm. but even there, it's a collaborative process. It's not a top-down thing. Mm. I'm so tickled. It's just funny. Every parent of a teen is just listening to you talk going, oh yeah, oh yeah, I've been there for sure. I wonder, I don't know exactly how to frame this question, but one thing that I have experienced a lot with my kids that is, it can be so maddening is at this stage in their life, some of their just, their functioning skills are so frustrating, like basic functioning, you know, just basic, you set your own alarm, you take showers on the regular, you know, like just these sort of, you can follow steps, you can, you can handle complex instructions, you can do what we asked, like, can you talk a little bit about the where development and functioning skills meet and what is normal. Like half of us are walking around thinking my kid is malfunctioned. My, my dirty unshowered kid (laughs) is not going to make it as an adult. It's a source of a lot of frustration for a lot of like parenting relationships. I wonder if you could speak into that a little bit. Sure. And, and what I'm thinking about is you're describing the kid who's not showering or can't remember where their shoes are. They're also like, coding extraordinarily sophisticated programs, right? Or making like, you know, incredibly evocative artworks. I mean, like they are simultaneous, (laughs) brilliant. Mm -hmm. And then also like, you know, kind of goofballs in their own way. And, and, and it's, it's just, it's, that's why I love them. All right. So I think that's what you can reasonably expect is that their functioning is going to be all over the map, that they will be, you know, goofballs and irresponsible about some things while actually being incredibly on top of it with other things. And, and I think 
that's part of what can make it so irritating. You're like, you can code a program. Why can't you, you know, uh-huh. set an alarm. turn off the stove, you know, uh-huh. set, exactly yeah. set an alarm for yourself. So I think let's just normalize that. Like that this is actually pretty standard to adolescent functioning. So then in terms of how you intervene, I'm going to give a few different options because different kids respond to different things. Every family is different. And in even moment to moment, the same family might want to try one tool or another. All right, let me just start with the really basic. It is totally fine for you to say to your kid, you have to go take a shower right now. Like, I'm not discussing yeah. this. Like, you smell okay. bad. <laughs> I need you to go take a shower. Totally. But it doesn't always have to be an excavation and exploration, right? It can just be like, dude. Yeah. Yeah. The We're not going to get into it. the last two years of your habits. Just go take a shower right now. Go take a shower. Right. Uh-huh. Go take a shower. And so I just, I want, I wanted people to like, just start there. <laughs> you know, if you, if you feel that's the moment, you can start there. But you can start anywhere with these. A second approach is to say, what is getting in the way of you taking a shower? I will tell you that phrase, what is getting in the way of, is probably the phrase I use most often when I'm trying to change behavior in teenagers. Because they know they're supposed to shower, like, right? They know they're not supposed to get super drunk at parties. They know they're not supposed to drive too fast. Like, so telling them again, you're just having the same dumb fight. And so when I am with groups of teenagers talking about, you know, choices they make, I'll say, all right, you all know you're not supposed to drink at parties. What gets in the way of doing what it is you know you're supposed to do? Now we're having a conversation. I see. Yeah. Because I'm acknowledging, like, there's something else happening here. And I may be naive to it. So that can open a portal that wasn't there, is just to ask it in that way. I think that a third option, and this is something you can exercise in a lot of different frameworks, is to always work with the assumption that teenagers have two sides. They have the side that is like too lazy to shower. (laughs) They have the side that is organized, self-advocating, mature, thoughtful, you know, incredible. And the side you speak to is the side that's going to show up for the conversation. So if you come at a teenager saying, like, I have told you you need to shower. Like, why aren't you or why aren't you setting your alarm? What's the matter with you? You know, you need to set your alarm. Do this, do this. You're going to get the da-da-da-da, you don't get it. Uh, You're going to get the immature side. And if you say, it's not like you to not shower. Like, what's the story here, right? And if you sort of engage the more mature, thoughtful side, or if you say, you are so organized on 40 things, help me understand why the, why the alarm clock isn't one of them, right? So you're engaging the high-minded, thoughtful side to try to figure out what's going on with this other side that is sleeping in and being irresponsible. So those are some approaches that, given who teenagers are and given how they're built, in terms of how they approach the world and react to it. Those can work sometimes. Did you know more than 75% of Americans experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% seek out a solution for that pain? Your feet don't have to hurt. So let me tell you about Superfeet. Superfeet has a wide range of insoles for every activity, every shoe, and every foot, from cushioned and flexible to firm and supportive. You can dial in your fit by taking their quick quiz online. Answer just a few short questions and Superfeet will recommend the best insole choice for you. 
foot biomechanics may be complex, but solving foot pain should be simple. So when you add the signature orthotic shape of Superfeet insoles to your shoes, you give your feet comfort and support where they need it most, helping redistribute forces to reduce stress and strain on your entire body, not just your feet. When your feet feel good, so do you. Your foot health is an important part of your overall well-being. Visit superfeet.com and enter the promo code FTL at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners. Only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L. Because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I want to ask you this question. And I think this might be particularly for parents who are parenting their first teenager. Because I now I'm on the other side of that. And I, I kind of see now how this rhythm works and I know what to expect. But I think for a lot of first-time teen parents, the whole idea of proximity to my kid is confusing in that we're used to them being a kid, a little kid who always wanted to be with us, glued to our side, high priority on like connectedness and, and even like togetherness. And then of course, you know, appropriately. So in adolescence, it's, it's not that it switches completely because it's, it's in and out. It's, I need you. I love you. I want to cuddle. I want to lay on your lap. Don't speak to me. You know, like, I'd like to hear you talk about what is normal in terms of like connection and proximity and time and 
because there's no reason for us to walk around having our feelings hurt about this. This is normal. It's good. They're supposed to be pulling away from our authority and our, us being the center of the universe, but it feels weird. It feels strange, particularly if we're navigating it for the first time. It is true. It is true. So what you describe that transition from like, yeah, I'll come to the grocery store with you, right? Like that's how I think about kids who are six to 10. They're like, sure, I'll come to the grocery store. Like that sounds really fun. And then one day they walk out of their bedroom and you're like, want to go to the grocery store? And they're like, what? (laughs) Why would I do that? Absolutely not. (laughs) That's that's like the the weirdest question you could possibly ask, right? And and I think it often feels like just that instantaneous in terms of the transition. And so that's very strange for the parent. They wonder, like, I thought we'd built up this great thing. I thought we weren't going to go to this place. And here we are. Again, very typical. So in Untangled, I have a metaphor that I lay out that's actually pretty belabored. And I tend to like things more efficient, more economical in my writing. But this one I I kept because I've been using it in talks in my local community for a while before I wrote it up. And I had enough people come back to me 10 years later and, and say, the swimming pool metaphor got us through yes. our adolescence. Well, let's hear our kids' adolescence. Uh-huh. So I was like, all right, let's go on in the book. Okay, yeah. so here's the deal. It is very helpful to think about your teenager, and this is of all genders, as though they are a swimmer, the water is the world, and that we are the pool that's holding the whole thing together. And swimmers want to be out in the water. They want to be with their friends. They want to be splashing around. They want to be doing their thing. They want to, you know, be gaining strength. It also happens though that sometimes they become overwhelmed, right? That somebody dunks them or they're exhausted. And they have that drowning feeling. And, and you know, I don't know if you remember swim lessons where you're like, <gasps> right? You feel scared for yourself. They come to the wall. They come to us to try to catch their breath. So what this looks like in family life is your kid has barely acknowledged your existence for days. And then something goes wrong. And suddenly they are like literally often on you, right? Draping themselves on you, talking to you, letting you touch and cuddle and support them. They're telling you all about what they're so upset about. And the experience for the parent is like, oh, you're back, you're back. This is good. I was worried that we had somehow parted forever. And the parent, as much as the kid is in distress, like takes some, can often take some pleasure in the sense of like, okay, you're talking to me again. That's the parent's experience. The kid's experience is very much like that kid in swim lessons where they're like, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, where's the wall? And then they're like, oh wait, never mind, I'm fine. Right? Like I got my breath back. And then they're like, oh, this is super embarrassing. I'm like clinging to the wall like a kid, you know, in water wings. And they're like, I gotta get out of here. And so they push off from the wall. So what often happens, Jen, what you're describing of intimacy and the distance, it often actually happens in very close sequence because the intimacy starts to feel really regressive to teenagers. And so usually those moments of closeness are are ended, not with like a gosh, thanks, I feel better, but instead like, wait a minute, it's like, is that what you wore to work today? You know, or Mm. something like that. Or like, (laughs) it's not that your breath smells bad, but I don't know, I don't know, I can't quite describe it. Like something that just like is a kick in the gut, but the kid is like off, has established distance, and it's very painful to the parent. And, and so you shouldn't let your kid be a jerk to you. You know, if your kid says something mean, you should say like, that was mean, right? But I also want parents, once their kid is into adolescence and is more autonomous and wanting more independence, I want parents when they come in close and ask for support, 
savor it and set your watch by the fact that this is going to end probably within the next 30 seconds and it's not going to end in a nice way. That's great. That's so helpful. Oh, I'm glad. That just retool the expectation. And then you're like, oh, there, it happened just as they, just as was foretold, like, which is normal, normal. I cannot tell you how comforting it is to just hear you say the word normal a bunch during this call, because we only know what we know inside our four walls. I want to ask one last question. I wonder if you could just, with your expertise, your proximity to kids and parents, talk for just a moment about the additional, really unprecedented burden that teenagers right now are carrying post-pandemic. Their worlds were rocked. The pandemic hit in the middle of my kids' adolescence. I had one kid who missed a college graduation, one who missed a high school graduation. Nobody got prom. Like it was, it just fell right in these years for my kids. And honestly, I feel like we're still digging out of some of the losses and some of the misses. So I don't really, I'm not exactly sure what my question is, except I would just like you to hear you talk toward parenting teenagers who have experienced this in recent history, lost a lot of developmental moments that they expected to have. And here we are. No, here we are. And, and, you know, it's interesting when I think about the pandemic, I think, well, the pandemic was about loss, right? And loss across the board. I mean, people lost lives. They lost parents. They lost, you know, I mean, profound and grave losses and all teenagers lost something. And, and I, I've, when I think about it, I think like, it's like the pandemic T-boned adolescence, you know, I mean, it just terrible. And so I think there's a couple of ways to unpack this. You know, one is to acknowledge like how real those losses were for them because you only get one adolescence and you only get one high school prom and you only get like for your whole, whole life. Like, you know, as adults, you know, anything we miss, we could probably make up or we're perfectly glad to have canceled, you know, but for teenagers, like it's a one-time deal and they're hope now they will never have had that thing. And people before and after them will have that thing and they just out. And so I think as with other, you know, lots of losses, you kind of keep rediscovering the loss, right? So I think we need to make room for, say you're a teenager who didn't have a prom, every cohort after them where they're looking at prom pictures, that is going to poke at that bruise of what they didn't get, what they didn't get. And we have to be gentle about that and and just acknowledge and empathize, listen and empathize, right? If you just start there, you get very far. I think there's also a reality that a lot of teenagers are ready to move on. You know, a lot of teenagers, it happened, it was horrible. They are into the next chapter and you know, one of the things that's really interesting about teenagers is that time is different for them. I always say teenagers are like dog years, like one year of life for us is like seven years of life for them. So there are teenagers for whom this now feels very far away and that's where they want it. And I think it's important to make space for that too. So, you know, they're going to be moving from place to place, but there's something very real about the losses they had and that they will get revived over time. But there's also something very real that a lot of kids are like, I just want to get on with my life. You're right. You're right. And I guess that goes back to steps one and two. Just listen. Listen. If they're if they're really hurting about something, they'll tell us. We can't follow their lead sometimes on where their emotional landscape is taking them. And so 
I think that's really, really great advice. You and I have just scratched the tip. I mean, this is the tip right here. We There's a 4,000 layers underneath this. And so I will link to absolutely everything, listener, like everything, Dr. DeMar, everything, all the resources, the sites, the places, <laughs> like one thing parents of teens just want are groups of us. So we can come somewhere and go, oh, okay, we can, we're doing okay. Like they're doing okay. And this is how it is. And just this normalization. And then of course, tools and resources. And so I'm going to make sure they have all of that. Thank you so much for your time. This is the final question. Every guest gets this question, every series. And I've borrowed this question from a another leader that I love. Her name is Barbara Brown Taylor. And I would love for you to answer this however you feel like today. Like we get answers ranging from precious to absurd. And we like them all. So her questions, what is saving your life right now? My family, my family. I am really blessed. Everyone's happy. Everyone's healthy. You know, not happy all the time, but nobody's up against anything that is bigger than they are. And everyone's healthy. And I take great comfort in that. I, my work puts me in contact with a lot of tragedy. And though that is hard, it has really made me savor our good fortune all the more. Mm, I love that. That's a great answer. And on that note, I want to thank you so much for your time today, for your incredible counsel and wisdom and instruction. And thank you for your work in the world. It's just so important. It matters so much. I felt like there was a million resources for us as parents when we were pregnant and having babies and they were little, but this season is so crucial. And we're just like, who, who will help? Like, where do we go? And so thank you for focusing your work on this group of kids, these wild, dirty, funny kids that just, they make us laugh and they make us crazy. Well, thank you so much. It was lovely to be with you. Right, you guys. Oh man. I made a note just now saying we need a whole series on parenting teens. Like I know this is where so many of us are right now, or for a lot of my listeners, it's where you're about to be. You're in some of those earlier, more stable stages of childhood that Dr. DeMort mentioned, but adolescence is, is like on the horizon. You're about to have it. So she true to her word, is absolutely full of resources over at her website. So if you go to jinhatmaker.com, under the podcast tab, I will have not only this, this episode and a link for you to share it, but all the things, all the links to Dr. Demore's stuff. So you can find that in one spot. And she will be, a, I believe, a wonderful resource for you. There's so much more. She's got tons of stuff tons of tools for us. And so you can head over there and check out her work and more to come in the Calming the Chaos series, you guys. And so we hope that this series is serving you as much as we are loving it. Because on the podcast side of things, we just can't get enough of it. So on behalf of all of us, guys, we love you. And thank you for being here week in and week out. We'll see you next week. <laughs>